that's it. Here we are. We're live. And uh, it's 20 years of insight systems. Um, this will be the podcast that breaks the internet. Joining me today are Dan Bourbon and Wayne Schultz, the owners uh, of insight systems. Founders. Founders, owners, um, proprietors, and 20 years is a long time. Mm-hmm. So I guess we've got to start 20 odd years ago. You would have been turning about 50, Wayne. But go back. Tell uh, us. Well, it probably goes back almost thirty years, I reckon. Yeah, well, twenty at least twenty-five when we first met. Around ninety-six, I started Doctor Audio. That was my first business that I was running <laughs> mm-hmm. as a uh, an integration business. We would work for other AV companies and do their installations and designs and, and things like that. And that's where I met this fine <clears throat> chap here. Very original name. Dr. Audio. Dr. Audio. Yeah. I would imagine you would have been doing things in audio. Yeah, it was myself. <laughs> That's the Daniel and, and a business partner then, Rodney. Oh, they weren't doctors. Oh, they weren't there doctors. you go. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. And I came out of, uh, out of RMIT being a, a technician, so I was fixing stuff, and that's where uh, the love of technology came. So you did a, you did a course at RMIT? Right. I, was, I was doing electronics at RMIT and, yeah. you know, fixing all kinds of things, came out and, and worked for a, a company called the PA people actually first up. Oh, out, yeah. Out of uni. Um, and were you not at CI as well? Yeah, I was. So it was, um, it was PA people. Then I learned that I didn't need to do that. <clears throat> I started my own business yep. there with, with Rod. <laughs> and uh, then we were doing some work for CI as, as a contractor there. Mm. This is back in, what would have been, 98, something along those lines. But one of the companies we did work for was Tasman, Tasman AV, and uh, we would do a lot of their install work, and that's where I met Wayne. Mm. Mm. Tasman. Tasman days. Was that your first AV thing? It was. Was that yeah. your first ever thing? <clears throat> no. No? Because I'm 500 years old. I yeah. did other stuff before <laughs> that. I, uh, no, I, I did my year 12. And I was, I was really good at maths and science, not so good at English and reading books wasn't my thing. <laughs> and back then, HSC, if you didn't, uh, if you didn't pass English, you, you failed your HSC. So oh, I right. did well at, you know, the two hardest maths, physics, chemistry, all that sort of stuff, failed HSC. Uh-huh. So I was like, what am I going to do? I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I got accepted into electronic engineering at um, Monash or one of the unis. But I think I was a bit disillusioned with the whole schooling thing. So I. Uh, I think it was my mum showed me this um, program with, uh, it was either Telecom, it was pre-Telstra, mm. or the SEC, and you could go in a traineeship with either oh. of those. So you did a year of electronics at TAFE, part of a diploma, and then from there you can get picked up on a traineeship yep. to go on that. So I did that, got into tel- or Telecom, and then went through a traineeship there and got paid to go to school and ended up a technical officer or whatever it was called at the time. So I was, I went for the interview and I said, and they said, right, you know, Telstra, Telecom's a big place. You know, you could go anywhere. What are the things you really like, you know, so we can help guide us where to put you. And I said, look, I like to be on the road, out meeting people and doing all that sort of stuff. So I was stationed in a repair center in Russell street, the city mm-hmm. bench repairing stuff. So that was what, you know, they really listened to me. And, uh, <laughs> So they didn't start me off. So I did eight years at, tel- at uh, Telecom yeah. repairing stuff as a bench technician. So I worked my way through to different levels and, and whatever else. 
I think I bluffed my way a fair bit, but in the end, I was part of the, I put my hand up when they become Telstra and then Optus came in and then it was like redundancies. And oh, yeah. so all the young guys left and I took my package and then I took off overseas for 12 months and did that. And then came back and said, I need to get into sales. That was kind of more my thing, mm-hmm. but in technical. You know, yeah, that's yeah. Kind of one of those. So I had that mm. so technical brain, but. And then, um, yeah, I saw this job for, for Tasman um, selling AV and I didn't really know much about AV, but I had a, I thought this would be pretty cool. Mm. All I wanted was a, a car and a phone. That was my two requirements <laughs> and I got those two things. And Not email. <clears throat> no emails allowed, but no. Um, no, that's another story. But, yeah, that started my journey in the AV industry and, and I was a BDM there and had to work alongside a lot of the schools mm. and try and develop that business and they had a, a big catalog that went out that was huge at the time. You know, they used to, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So I was there for eight years, and along the journey, met this guy and did some good work together. I think. So we, you met because you were doing contract work for correct. Tasman. Yeah, yeah. we correct. were hanging projector screens. So yep. that was the first job that I ever did for Tasman. Was come in and they didn't know how to put up a hundred and twenty inch screen on a on a wall. So we did that. And then I got a call from Wayne saying. Now I'm Wayne. Can you come and help me do a demo? <laughs> you know? I didn't use an alias. No, I didn't. Like, so I'm, I'm Wayne. Yeah. Wayne, yeah. Hey, yeah. Wayne. <laughs> Straight to the point. Yeah. Um, I'm going to do a demo of a projector at this school. Can you come and have a look? Because we're going to need install. So I rocked up at Tasman. Wayne said, give me a lift. And no jokes, it was a road case probably the size of the table here that had mm-hmm. a 100 lumen projector in it. <laughs> that was a portable projector. Yeah. At the time, yeah. yeah. At the time. And uh, we'd go out and see clients together and, and I'd do some of the design work. <clears throat> Wayne would do the sales pitch. We would, we would invoice Tasman and the client would get a, a good result. Mm. It was really good. Mm. And that was eight years you were at Tasman. Yeah, about that. A bit over eight years. And, um, yeah, it just sort of got to a point where, you know, Dan and I have been talking about what's next for us and I think um, Dr. Audio was kind of at a ceiling point, you know, when you're, when you're just sort of doing work for other companies, it's hard to grow much further and, and um, I think I'd sort of got to where as far as I could go there at Tasman and it was a good company um, but I just felt that it was time to do something myself and <clears throat> we've been talking and just decided to give it a crack and thought of, you know, some of the things that we could do that might be a bit different to others. And, um, and so this is early two thousands, <clears> right? This is well, 2000 and it was at the end of 2003, early 2004 when it officially started. Yep. So that's when, we, you know, yeah, I, I basically Dr. Audio had a, a little office in Eltham. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was underneath the furniture store, mm-hmm. didn't have a, a warehouse or anything, just had a little kitchenette and it had a car park underneath a furniture store mm. and one little glass window and I mean use your imagination <clears throat> you can, from your description it sounds like we're in like Oliver times <laughs> <laughs> well, it, was, it was Elf we had back candle. in the dark ages yeah. we had to so walk was... all the way to NEC with no shoes yeah, yeah. to buy TVs yeah. yeah it was a great little office for it was what we good. needed yeah. and it was perfect for me because you know I didn't have to set up anything it was already there there was a desk for me so I could go and do my thing and and so we had um and we had a little bit of a brainstorming session of we need to start a new company name. We'll keep Dr. Audio going because it was a good company and we need to start something different and we can't remember how we come up with it, but Insight Systems was what we decided on. And, um, yeah, it was, I had my desk and I was the sales guy. I was the admin guy. I was uh, doing deliveries and... Um, what was he doing? 
He was just going and installing stuff. I was still running a very successful business. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah. I think there and, was six, and I remember six, how guys, six guys at Dr. Audio at the time. Oh, okay. And then yep. and me as yep. Insight. Yep. And we would ramp as we and get contractors as we had bigger projects and then come back down. And there were some <clears> good <throat> things that we were doing. But the, the Insight name came out because we wanted to do stuff different that was customer focused. So we wanted to, and we we're talking about how do we summarize a business that actually takes uh, some notice of what a client wants, not mm. just selling something out of a, uh, out of a catalog that uses our expertise and go, go, go and turn up and talk to a client about what they need, understand what their strategy is, have a bit of insight into mm. pun intended yep. into what they're trying to do. And um, that was where the name origin Yeah. Came Cause from. I'm thinking it's like that or, Insight, so like you can see visual, there's like it's multi, there is. and that it works was the thing on so too. many levels, yeah. yeah. And, and we, we didn't want to have a company name that restricted us to AV. Mm. We thought, who knows where this is going to go in one day, as we well know now, it's yeah. going in all sorts of directions. Yeah. But I think that was a wise thing, and we were just it was, yeah, it left us open to, to many things. And we've had a few little logo changes, and that, but the name's the same. and we were going to be called um, Tasman Electric Board Rutledge. That <laughs> <laughs> was a bit of a. Well, most um, companies <laughs> could adopt that uh, that title now because there's just so we all you know cross everything ends up uh, everywhere else. So, so that is the first instance of insight. That's at Altham. That's mm. early two thousands. Um, when is the next big change? Like what? And and by change, I mean when do you go through that next sort of? Oh, okay. Like your point, we don't know what it's going to be. When does it start taking shape? We, we weren't risk adverse. We were, we were willing to take risk ourselves. So we were willing to, to grow the business. We didn't have a cap. We didn't want to be a 500-seat uh, seat enterprise, mm. but we wanted to continue to grow as our clients needed more and more. Um, I think we put on an administration person first. Yeah. Um, and then we started putting on some sales guys, all supported by the Dr. Audio business that was running at the same time. So. Mm. Important part there is that both businesses were running independently, but working in that partnership that um, that we knew worked for our clients. Um, Insight didn't need to hire engineers, hire install teams, hire commissioners. They really needed to focus on the sales piece and what it meant, like it, what it meant to get in front of clients and and really understand what. Um, what their struggles were and, and how technology can help them. And that's where we grew that Insight brand was, was getting those sales teams. And I think, um, I think we, we wasn't too long and we moved just up about 500 metres up the road. Uh, so we were still in Altham. Still in Altham. Yep. Mm -hmm. And it was two factories side by side that we took over and then sort of retrofitted inside, which was another story maybe too long for today, but it was pretty funny. <laughs> is that, is um, that the one near the ridge? <clears throat> yep. Yeah. Yeah. But I think um, one thing that um, Dan and I had in common was around the culture of the business and bringing in good people. And it doesn't always work, you know, you, you have your trial and tribulations, but the core of what we were about and our values and, and all the rest of it were strong. Mm. Um, Dan and I are different in many ways, but similar in, in a lot of ways as well. It's a beautiful marriage. <clears throat> There's no doubt about it mm. because, you know, you guys are just – it, it seems like there's always a strength and weakness thing that's that's very obvious with mm. you guys and, and, and an awareness. Who's, who's got the more, more strengths? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I can't answer that um, given the current audience. But the point is um, you guys know strengths and weaknesses, which I think is the, the really important thing. And it, it, it's easy to see, you know, being part of the team that um, 
being aware of where you guys play to what you're better at is part of the success. It's very obvious for us to see. Um, a lot of people, you know, when they're in partnership, it's a, it's a pull, push, pull and disagree and debate and argue and whatever. And, but it's always really easy to see, no, no, that's you. That's me. It's very clear. So that, that's, you know, something that mm. seems to be well thought out. And we did a, wor- a, a bit of work on that um, <laughs> early days. You know, coaching and business coaching is a, is a really important part of growth, especially for young businesses. Mm. Um, but there's a lack of arrogance. I think that's probably the way that we, we see it. We both don't think we're the best person in the room. We almost think, no, you're... Particularly you're if I'm in the room. Oh. <laughs> oh, we, we let you think whatever you like to yeah. think, Mike. That's yeah. fine. Yeah. But we, we actually did get a business coach in quite early for our business. Probably we might have been three years in, I reckon, three, four years max. And it was an expensive thing for us to do at the time. You know, it felt expensive. Mm. Um, but this guy come recommended. And we, we were at this point where lots of things were going on and lots of sales coming in, but it was still just Dan and myself and, and a couple of others. And it was... We didn't really have business um, backgrounds or um, done anything around the business finance, all that sort of mm. stuff. Yeah, so there's a desire there, but not necessarily an understanding. And where is our business going? Are we, you know, so we got this business coach in and he wasn't about, all right, guys, I'll show you what to do. He was about coaching us and then making sure we did it, Mm. giving us homework and it was uncomfortable. And he said, this is going to be uncomfortable because you're going to be, Outside your comfort zone, you'll be doing things that are going to be hard, but it's the best way for you to learn. And he was right. And we did it for maybe a year or two mm-hmm. and learned a whole lot of things. And it opened us up to understanding, you know, what's a break-even point in the business? Mm-hmm. I had no idea at the time and how to work that out. Anyway, it also then allowed us to go, right, we need to get a, a CFO in, someone that actually just runs all of the books and understands it. And, and it's a pretty big um, position in a business oh, and a real sure. trust worthy mm. type position and we were really lucky to get David back in the day he was local and he'd done all of the high flying corporate stuff and he was about at that sort of time he's looking for a small business that he can be local with and and bring his expertise to and it was just a marriage made in heaven he's still with us today so, yeah yeah <clears throat> and he's a he's a bit of a legend and um we call him grumpy sometimes but Dex. um yeah Dex, <laughs> but he's a great guy and he's you know he's just yeah he to have Trustworthy people in your business when you're growing is essential because we've seen oh, yeah. plenty of businesses get into trouble because they got the wrong people in mm. the, in, in senior positions, particularly so. in that finance <clears throat> seat, right? Because <clears throat> in the early days of a business, like you know, money's flying all over the place. <clears throat> you don't know what's going 100%. on. It's very easy for someone to go, "Oh, this is good." Yeah, um, you know, and, feather and the nest. David's different to, to Wayne and I. He's probably more risk adverse than, than what yeah. we are, you know, and yeah. definitely is. Hundred <laughs> percent. Um, <laughs> but I think been the perfect. Has been perfect. Yeah. I think touching on the business coach piece as well, the, th- the thing that I think we benefited from most was when we started the business, we didn't have a 10-year plan. We didn't mm. have a five-year plan. We just knew that we could come and help clients. So it was very much that focus on uh, how can we transition a client into a, a better experience of technology. Now, to be able to articulate that from a value proposition for Evan to challenge us and say, but what do you do? What's your elevator pitch? Or how am I going to, explain to my mum what you do. Mm, yeah. It was a real challenge for us to articulate that and, and we were able to do that. And that probably has been a, a big point of difference for our business because we've been able to move as our clients change their requirements. We've been able to articulate why insight makes sense to them or why insight doesn't make sense to them. Yeah. 
um, and be able to find our ideal clients, partly because we've been challenged around, well, yeah, it's not good enough just to be able to invoice things and do work. You actually need to uh, be able to articulate what your value prop is. Mm. You need to be able to find clients who that aligns with, and not every client's mm. going to be like that. Um, and then you can grow your business from that part mm. as well. So that's, for me, been one of the keys for our, our success over the 20 years. Yeah, and I think one of the things that Dan and I, and, and probably why we were attracted to each other, um, <laughs> if you could call it that. Um, you sure can. Yeah, <laughs> but it, it wasn't just on the business. It was just about relationships and, and, and we love building strong long-term relationships, whether it be, you know, with local friends or whatever, but our clients, we regard the same way. Mm. And we've got clients that have been with us from year dot um, that we regard as friends as well. We don't yeah. see them all the time outside of work, but there's a real connection there and there's a trust factor there both ways. And, and it just, um, if you've got that, then, you know, look, we're not perfect in every way. And, and if there's an issue, well, they're understanding and we fix it and we make sure, you know, we sort it all out for them, but the core of the relationships there. So mm. that's a real key. And, and we try and drive that through the business with all of the people, not just the sales guys, but everyone in our business represents the company and needs to be able to yeah. build a relationship. And we're all different, you know, um, not everyone's comfortable in doing that, but you do it in your own way. Um, but the core of it is just, you know, have a, have a really, um, uh, client-centric um, mm. attitude and really try and look after them. It's, it's very, I was the thing that attracted me to the <clears throat> business because it was the one thing that was always different when you were <clears throat> up against different competitors, you know, it's, it's driven by different things, but it was always very clear. And I think it was, you know, through probably the RMIT, um, trying to deal with, with clients of that size, RMIT, Peter McCallum, Marvel, whoever it might be, but dealing with them as a competitor, it's very clear that it's, it's, it's not that it's a closed door policy, but it's like, we've got everything that we need with the current and you wouldn't hear that much. And so then you start sort of investigating, well, what is it that they're doing? That's, that's different to everyone else. And you know, three years later, you end up working there. So it's just one of those things that I think even now having been here for three years, um, the effort that you put into culture and maintaining culture, both within the business, but, but that's carried over to the client. It's, it's evident in the clients as well. You know, the clients express that same sort of thing. Um, how do you keep control of things like culture when you're going through these massive growth phases too? Because, you know, the thing that I've always found with the business, sometimes you're forced to take on a bunch of people really quickly. You can't vet them out, can't suss out whether they're the right thing long-term, but you've got to get people. Um, how have you managed to manage, monitor, and curate that over time? Oh, for, for me, it's, that's not easy. No. Um, you know, we've... we've... <clears throat> We've had some struggles from time to time with with the with people that we've got. Our business has grown and, and they've not suited anymore. Mm. Um, and that's not meant to be a go at anyone that's worked for us previously. But as the business grows, we still are staying true to our mission and to our culture and to our values and to our uh, value proposition. And if you fall outside of that, we do need to have those hard conversations. And we love taking people for the ride. We love showing people where we want to go as a business. Mm. But certainly understand there's a there's a phrase we use. I can't remember who said it first, but we don't lock the door from the inside. Mm. If you don't fit our culture anymore, that's okay. Absolutely not an issue. Um, but this is where we're going. So making those hard calls about who comes and works and represents Wayne and I, mm. um, that, that's been something we've had to do a number of times. Yeah. And I think it gets easier as the as you go along in the journey. 
you know, I think sometimes you let things go on for too long. Yep. Um, and you know that yeah, being yeah. in a management position. Yep. Um, sometimes you've got to make a call earlier than maybe you have in the past. And, and because, you know, as we know, the longer you've got the wrong people in, in your business, mm. that festers it and it starts to spread. And, and it lowers the tolerance level too. You know, mm. people then start to become okay with mediocre. Yep. Um, so, yeah, it's it's hard sometimes to make that call quickly, mm. but it's the right call to make. Yeah. Um, all right. So we are, where are we now? We're like 2005, six, seven ish. <laughs> because what, what, what's interesting to me at this point in time is, all right, new business, four years in, you know, still early days, but gone through some growth. 2008 hits and we enter a GFC, you know, we're laying people off, interest rates are through the roof. What, what did we have to do to adjust? How did you survive that period? Was it tough? Was it okay? Were you bolstered? What, probably, explain that. Probably two major things happened, 2008, 2010, that, that GFC. Um, one advantage of being smaller, now when we talked about both businesses, at that point Dr. Audio had maybe 12, 12 staff. I think Insight probably had 10, something along those, that line as well. Mm-hmm. We were running two separate businesses. Um, we were, we were uh, running them separately, all the, the different books and things that need to happen within that space. And then the economy changes. Just in case the ATO are listening. <laughs> <laughs> all above board, Mike. It was, it was all above board. Um, we love the ATO. And, um, it's seven years. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, we haven't got the records of that anymore. Um, and we were challenged to be a better business. So how can we become more efficient? How can we become better at what we do? And how can we make sure we're providing value to our clients who probably don't have the same funding that they used to have as well. Um, we were at that point doing a lot of work in K to 12. Um, that was primarily the largest group of clientele that we had. And the funding that they had changed for them in the better. So Cause the, that, that was building, building education. Revolution. Uh, yeah. Yep. Kevin Rudd. But the BEA yep. come along with yep. the happy days. You know, there's uh, there's a bunch of clients there that we've got that now have money. But they then look at, well, I've got a hundred grand and with insight, I can do a quality system and I can fit 10, 10 rooms out. But with a man in the van, I can fit out 12 rooms. The whole school or something, yeah. Yeah. Um, not worried about quality. I'm just going to get the most that I can out of this cash. And we, um, we looked at that for a little bit and we started to try and compete and we realized that that's actually not providing the value. That's not where we can absolutely sink. Um, it wasn't taking advantage of our engineering skills, of our people skills, of our installation skills. None of that was important to that particular client anymore. Mm. It was just how quick and, and how quick and complete can you get in and out? And um, that wasn't our ideal client. Mm. So we started to steer into uh, a different space. And part of that was corporate, part of that was tertiary education, who, again, had a different play. They had a whole bunch of new students coming in and wanted to provide them value in form of great technology, great experiences. So we started to move into that client base and work with them where they saw our value as beneficial to them. They were willing to pay for for that. Um, so that's the first thing I think we did as a result of that, uh, that GFC was change mm. the type of clients that we worked for. Um, and we weren't too big at the time to, as you said, we were still small and nimble. So we could sort of, you know, we weren't didn't have huge amount of costs to to worry about. It's always it was a worry, but yeah. um, I think that 
being able to change focus pretty quickly. We we were already doing some uni work, not a lot. You know, we, you know, funnily enough, RMIT, you know, we were doing some work for back then, but their structure was quite different then. They had lots of different schools doing their own things. So we kind of dealt with certain areas. Mm. Um, and then I think the managed service side of things was around that time as well, wasn't it, with RMIT? That was a bit later, a I A little think. bit later, maybe yeah. a couple of years later. But but at, <coughs> during that, that period, we also decided to merge Dr. Audio oh, yes. Right. Yep. So that was yep. probably the... The second the part, other big wasn't thing, it? yeah, yeah, it was it was really like um, obviously it was two different businesses, but we were, you know, we were working alongside each other, and it was almost still there was still a little bit of us and them mentality because yeah. you had a whole lot of techs, yeah, and a whole lot of because insight was predominantly sales, yeah. So we really thought there was there's so many good reasons to merge this and make it one, make it one name, everyone wearing the same colours and the same branding, and just really working as a team. Um, and that was, you know, the time had come for uh, Dr. Audio to ride off into the sunset. Mm. Um, it was, I think you were pretty cool with it. You weren't too, oh, we're you were okay with it. We didn't mention that the, the, my business partner at that time, Rod. So we mm. had Dr., uh, we had Daniel and Rod, the Dr. Audio, and then Wayne. So it was the three of us. Were, DRW uh, didn't sound quite the same. No, it didn't uh, do that, Dr. Turn it upside down. You think of the DRM. <laughs> DRM. <laughs> yeah, that day. We yeah, that's why it didn't work. Yeah. 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 Um, but at that time as well, we, we bought Rod out. So we moved back to just the, the two business partners as mm. we merged the two businesses. Again, a, a trading name is a trading name and there was history in that and that was fine. But if you hold on to that legacy <clears throat> just for legacy's sake, yeah. I think it would have. Uh, to be honest, I'm sort of glad you went with the insight name anyway. Well, you could have been called Dr. Mike. <laughs> Dr. Mike. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, works. because I had a friend that worked <clears throat> for Dr. Audio, Alistair, guy that I trained jujitsu with. Um, he was my favorite employee. Yeah, well, he just dropped, you know, the oh, and, and blah, blah, blah. And I mentioned Insight Systems and he's like, oh, because I used to work for a company called Dr. Audio. Like, you know, it's one way or another the same company. Mm. Um, and so now we're past GFC. Um, managed services is on the table. Business is starting to become the new business. Mm-hmm. Um, next steps, what happens from there? So this is a, an interesting part, I suppose, from a an amalgamated business, we're now looking at a range of different things that we're doing. Um, when we look at that value proposition and where we can provide value to a client, it, it opens up. Mm. It's no longer just the installation piece or the engineering piece. It's, it's how do we do service or how do we do commissioning and how do we do all this other stuff that people need. And we had, like Wayne said, done some work with RMIT. We got a call out of the blue from a, a consultant saying, hey, RMIT are looking at doing something a bit different, would you be interested in discussing it? And at that point in time, they'd gone to a few of the big players in town who weren't really getting what they needed from those guys. It was all just stock standard. I can put this guy at $160 an hour and away you go. Mm. Um, they were really interested in someone who can redesign, reimagine what customer experience looks like in a university space, what customer service is, and create a business that uh, commercially works for them and works for us um, on hitting different targets. Um, so we started looking at some of that side of things. Yep. Um, we were still doing our integration piece. We're still doing our normal sales uh, workflow. Uh, but now we started exploring what managed service would look like. And this was in 2013. 13? Yes, 2010. 
10, 11, wasn't it? Oh, it might have been. It all blurs. It's, it's gone pretty quick. <laughs> <It's>, yeah. <clears throat> um, but that was a long journey as well, mapping out what that looked like to mm-hmm. uh, to have a big organisation like RMIT get rid of 40 staff, replace it with 10 mm-hmm. to provide a similar service. We needed to be nimble. We needed to be different. We needed to put some different skill set into that organisation. And uh, I think that was a, an advantage for us, actually, as opposed to some of the other bigger players because they were fairly structured and rigid we were still a growing yeah Mm. still a growing business and willing to mold it to the client and av service wasn't necessarily like a a massive thing back then like this is when we started to really see you know the as a service model start to come to the fore and like the it guys were all over and av was wanting to do managed services but no one had ever really done it well um it was all about sort of ad hoc stuff something's wrong i'll call you and you come and fix it um, versus actually being like preventative, Correct. doing things ahead of time. Correct. Um, but for us, it was about putting tool sets in place that allowed us to see the environment. You know, back in the day, it was Amex RMS or Crestron Fusion that, that mm. purely just provided a eyes into an environment. But we needed more <clears> than that. We needed to look at a whole range of different technology within our, our services to foresee what might happen to be able to have a glimpse into the future and be notified as soon as there was an issue so we could rectify it before a client found out. And one of the, you know, there's all the tool set side of things, but I think one of the key things that uh, was a real um, change or probably a change for RMIT and a real advantage for us was our mindset of putting people, because we had obviously put people on site, um, to put people in there that were, you know, client-centric, customer-focused-centric mm-hmm. as opposed to the the brainiest technician um, because I think in the past they'd had that sort of scenario where a guy might have been a great technician but he really didn't treat the clients very well yeah. and made them feel a bit stupid because they couldn't operate something so yep. it was about putting up um, uh, a, a, a bunch of people but a, a leadership structure and, a, and and people that would follow that kind of um, philosophy and not yep. just go well you know go and fix it and then walk out and go to the next thing it's about put yourself in the client's shoes, they're under stress, they've got to run a classroom and suddenly it's not working and there's all these students sitting there, they're under pressure and yep. you've got to come in there and you've got to help them and make them feel at ease and don't make them feel like an idiot if they press the wrong button. So that was the, I think when RMIT saw that, that was a massive change for them mm. from a cultural side of things and the responses they were getting back from the teachers and, and the lecturers and that were pretty astounding. So that's kind of that was our benchmark then and we thought this is, we've got something going here. This is something we can replicate hopefully around mm. other places. I think it's that desire <clears throat> for someone to have empathy for someone else yeah. and that ability to put yourself in their shoes and that's something that you don't see in a lot of technical people. You just see a problem, I'm going to fix it, not the, the heart driver. I know we've had, had Daryl come in and talk about head driver and heart driver, the way you make a client feel mm. versus the process that you follow. By teaching our team that, by allowing them to interface with a client both on a technical point but also an emotional point. I think it, it transforms experience. Um, I'll never forget actually going into a meeting at RMIT where in one of those 40 staff that were working there, it was midsummer, and I come through a door and he barges through in thongs, singlet and, mm-hmm. and stubbies, get out of me effing way sort of thing. Yeah. And that was the same guy two weeks later who came asking for a job. And, uh, 
and it, it, it didn't happen. He was just not the right type mm. of person. No one that can, uh, well, he wasn't the type of person that could put themselves in our client's feet, mm. um, in their shoes. As a business owner and, and you're going through the growth phase of a business, and this is something that I could never do, um, when it gets to the point that you have to appoint other leaders, and in, in early stages, you know, it's, you're, you're doing everything yourself, right? When a business first starts, you, you're everything. Um, and then eventually you have to get other leaders on. We spoke about like Dex took it after finance, but in particular when there are tasks that you have normally done and done to a particular standard, and then now you're passing that mantle onto someone else to manage that standard. Is that daunting? Is that the sort of thing where initially it's very hard to, I can't let people do things that, you know, I know that I can do well. It's, it's part of my. You can and you do. Well, I don't well, enough. <laughs> I well, don't you know, and I think that is the difference between someone being able to grow a, a large business. Yeah. Or just be a sole trader kind of. Exactly. Kind of thing. And that's, we're all different. You know, that's mm. just the way it is. and. I think we learned that along the way. And, and Dan and I have obviously think we're pretty good at certain things. And, you know, I was always the, the main sales guy and Dan was the sort of head of technical. And, you know, you'd bring sales guys on and, you know, you'd go through quite a few people to find the, the real gold. But eventually you, you got to sort of, well, if they're, if they're good, mm. mate, encourage them and bring yeah. them on and make them even better and, once they you know, if they, if they fit the culture of the business, that's obviously number one, yeah. you know, keep them and, 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 and mentor them and all the rest of it. Um, but I think over time, both Dan and I have never really been precious about being number one all the time. We'd rather have some, you know, amazing people in our business that as long as they can represent the company well mm. and they can um, sing the same tune that we, that we sing, um, I'd, you've got to have people in your business that are better than you at all these different things. You can't do everything yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And now I guess that's the, that's the thing that I've always struggled with. And like this business is good because in the sense of there's been a lot of things I've been able to do in this business that I haven't been able to do in other businesses, but it, you know, doing that alone, giving you a platform to, you know, go out and make the failures is also part of growth. And I think that's something else too, that, you know, that we do really well is that, um, it's okay if people make mistakes. It's okay if people fail. More to the point, it's like, we'll just go and try it and then you'll know for sure whether it's going to work. And that's something that I think we've had really good success with in the past couple of years, particularly in tech. You know, we're seeing some cool stuff emerge from the incubator we've got here. Um, Can I say you- there, we're also doing it in recruitment though as well. And, and over yeah. our journey, we've given people a chance who on paper probably wouldn't have been the right ideal client, uh, ideal candidate. Um, but we've given them a chance and the pure fact that we've given them a chance has meant they have turned into just an exceptional person, exceptional mm. employee, because they know that they know they've been given an opportunity and they just want to try 110% and they outperform a whole that bunch of people. Paul Valance, Paul, one of our uh, lead software developers, he started the, was he employee was number Audio. one? Yeah. yeah. Was he? As an electrician, as an installer. With, as an with installer. Yeah, yeah. So a story of a, of a guy that's now in my team, um, a lead programmer started as a Sparky. Yep. 20 something years ago yep. and, uh, and still, you know, doing cool new stuff all the time. Correct. We had, uh, Mark Joseph, some people may know Mark at, at AT controls, but he started with us pulling cables. It was a window cleaner, fell off a ladder, two story ladder, broke both ankles, family of two, with two kids trying to support them. We gave him an opportunity and he came in and he became a programmer and, and has gone, gone further forward. And it's those sort of things that I'm proud that mm. as a business, we can support people who 
are in need or have a certain circumstance that means they're probably not going to be employed by other people or they just want to give something new a try and yeah. we've got that opportunity to, to do that with them. I think, you know, one of the things that as you go along the journey, you, like for me, you know, being in sales all that time and, and knowing that I can do sales well, all the rest of it, but then you, you start to get a mindset change of, well, you know, I can build a team here and I can build up some people. And now we've got Michael Pafiti, director of sales, yeah. doing a great job. And you get more pleasure out of seeing success in, 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 in those people. Oh, hundred percent. And then yeah. you just see their excitement. And then, and then he's going through that change of being number one sales guy into leading a team. And now he's mm. thinking about the whole team, not just himself. So it's a real journey for everyone. And I think, you know, as business owners, um, if you can, you start to see yourself in, in, yeah. in other people within your business, you see them going through what you went through 15 years ago or 10 years ago. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's a really cool good. experience. And I think, you know, that again is another one of those points. Jess is very similar, you know, is when, when you reach that point of, um, or business ownership, but, but leadership or management, the biggest reward is then the facilitation of the people beneath you, um, and giving them platforms to succeed, you know, when insight, what are we now? We're a hundred and something employees, 103. 103. Um, so starting at, you know, single digits, tens, twenties, at what point do you start to rationalize that? Okay. This, this is bigger than we thought it was going to be. And now we've got to make real business decisions about, you know, how we facilitate this serious growth. Cause when did the real, like the real expansion and the real growth start? When was that? Oh, I, I think, think it's, I was going to say, I think it's been consistent. Yep. So over the 20 years, we, we sort of grow a percentage each, each year. We haven't ever gone out and said, well, we need to have a business of 500 people. No. We're, we've purely seen growth based on what we know our clients need. But when the payroll starts to go from, you know, one or two mil a year and starts turning into something significant and, and you've got turnover with, you know, double-digit millions, do you have to then sort of go, all right, we need to stop and look at this again because the original plan – Needs adjusting. I think you look at it monthly. Yeah. You know, that, that's really what we do now is we look at where the business is heading and, and what we're doing and how we're moving that way and what our risks are and, uh, and how we abate a, a lot of those. Um, that's almost become what our job is now that a lot of the daily stuff is done by our, our team of directors. Mm. Um, I think it's really important to plan. And we did that planning session with our directors, uh, what, three months ago, and we do that annually where we go and we assess where we want to be and what the goals are. We try and manage that each month and make sure we're tracking in the right space. Um, but probably going back to your original question, when did it all start? It was probably around that managed service piece where yeah, we, we had to like boost the sweet spot. our team. Yeah. Yeah. And I think where, you, you know, if, you, if you're doing contracts where you need a certain amount of people to fulfil that contract tracked on a site or whatever, you've suddenly got to employ half a dozen people or whatever it might be. Yeah. That's a... A, a, a quite a jump in your in your staff in one hit like that. So I think that started that journey. Um, but I think the the management of it, yes, it might seem like yeah, compared to what we started off, it's a, it's bigger numbers and all the rest of it. But the philosophy is still the same. Um, and you know we've been going through the journey together, Mike. Around how do we as a business have employees that are contributing to the the sale or contributing yeah. to the profit of the business rather than just being a pure overhead. A worker. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. and I think, you know, you've seen it in your team where there's real enthusiasm from the team to be part of that and and make a difference. And um 
yeah, you need to have the right structure and um, I'm not going to give away too many trades. No, no there, but, but um, <laughs> you know, that's probably for us now at this size, you need to be thinking about all of those sort of things. And, you know, as soon as you have too many overheads, then suddenly that's a problem. And the last thing we want to do is to be laying off staff because we can't afford them. You know, we yeah. really, um, if we bring people on, we're confident that there's a job for them for as long as they want to be here, if they're the right fit. Mm. And, and one of the other big things that, you know, both of us have got a real pleasure out of growing this business is career progression. Mm. So being able to offer someone, and you can't always, but mm. we've always wanted the opportunity for someone, one of the staff members to come and say to their manager or us directly, um, you know, I'd love to do this. I'm doing this now, but I'd love to get to here. How do I do that? Yeah. And if we've got a pathway for them, awesome. You know, I'd rather keep them in our business than them going, you know, yeah, work course. somewhere else, of course. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, Mention the cost of like, you know, having to recruit new people if you can, if you can grow internally. Correct. Mm. correct. When you guys started the, uh, this business in particular, um, <laughs> probably in the last 10 years, 15 years, entrepreneurship and, and running a business has become very trendy, right? It's the sort of thing now where it's like entrepreneurs are the new rock stars. Um, and most people go into that with a very unrealistic expectation of what it takes to start a business. Like as business owners that have been through it, you know, what advice have you got for people that are thinking about starting businesses or going out on their own or those sorts of things, particularly in the current climate, what do you need to know? Good question. Oh, I, for, for me, it's knowing <coughs> what your product is, knowing what you provide and it needs to be, um, something that clients need, mm. you know, and if you've got those answers, then you just work bloody hard. Um, the first few years of business, we would be up at all hours of the night doing things. It was 20 hours. It was, I think the first year that I ran Dr. Audio, maybe the first two years, I made eight grand. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> it, it wasn't a, it wasn't a revenue uh, generating machine at yeah. that point in time, but it's bloody hard work. But yeah. if you're committed to doing it and you believe in that, then just put in the work. Don't expect anyone else to do it for you. Mm. Yeah, and I, I agree with that. And I also think that um, I mentioned it before around relationships. You know, most businesses, they're f the f you know the basis around their business. They might have a great product, but if they don't get it out there, they don't have the, they don't create contacts, they don't create um, a community yeah. around it. Then it's yeah. very hard to grow something unless, you know, I guess some some people create something like a product from scratch or they develop something that's amazing and then someone, they, they show it to someone and they buy it and yep. off it goes. But in general, people starting a business, it's all about the, the networking and, and um, friendships and contacts that you make mm. because, you know, you could be the same as the guy down the road, but if you've suddenly got, you know, a community of people on board with you, yeah. that will help you grow. Because people do business with people and, and they want to do business with people that they've got things in common with. And they trust. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's um, like, you know, you watch Shark Tank. I love I that I love show. Shark Tank. It's but a great show. I bought a Samsung TV <clears throat> three weeks ago and Samsung have their own little streaming platform and there's a 24-7 Shark Tank channel. Yeah. There you <laughs> so go. I literally just chuck it on watch Shark so Tank So have to you that. noticed that unless the product is speaks for itself, if they don't pitch it well, it's all it's over. over. Yeah. So it's really about getting yourself out there and that's not going to be comfortable for some people. Mm. Um, but if you can, or 
you know, have a great partner that yeah. you can, you know, got double <laughs> double whammy going on out there, then yeah. that's even better. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think for me that's the key is you know you might have a great product, but you've you've got to you know, go and connect with people, and also you got to take a risk. Mm. You know, like a lot of people probably have some great ideas and great things, but they just that jump leaping off the edge is is the thing. And look, you know, everyone's circumstances different, as you say. At the moment, it's tough. Yeah, you know, when 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 we started, my personal circumstances was that. You know, I, I sort of felt like I had nothing to lose. Yeah. My wife was working. She had a good job. So, and I knew my attitude was, well, I can always get another job if it mm. doesn't work out. Mm. And I thought, well, this is the time. I didn't have kids at the time. So I think everyone's circumstances are different. Most definitely. Mm. Wayne, yeah. Wayne said it was a great time to jump on my back. <laughs> yeah, he was right comfy. He was really comfy. Yeah. But, but to touch on that point as well, the, the benefit of having a business partner to shared stress. Oh, know, to, yeah. to 100%. Share, yeah, uh, to share that, and, and there is a lot of stress. Those first, well, probably there's always stress, um, but to have that with someone you can share that with, and to know that you trust that person implicitly. Um, yes, it is a work marriage, but it yeah. is it is one of immense trust, and and I think when you've got that, it just becomes a bit easier that that shared load. Definitely, uh, and, and you know. But that's team ethic, right? Like that's just the nature of what then you try to replicate throughout the entire business. Whereas if we all, if we're all here doing this for each other, um, it becomes much easier than us all just mm. trying to fight each other for the single victory. And because you know, we're not always going to be up here all the time. So there's plenty of you know times where myself or Dan might have been up here or down, and you always know you, mm. the other guy's going to bring you up and 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 all almost make like if you're sort of grappling with something, they'll. You'll talk to them and they go, it's actually not that bad. Yeah. You're, you know, you're particularly Mr. It positive over here. <laughs> like everything, everything's got a positive spin. The most optimistic human being that I've ever met in my life. <laughs> and you've got to be to ignore the risks that I've just gone through <laughs> yeah. for 20 years. Yeah. Um, um, you touched on a point that I'd like to just spend a second talking about, <clears throat> and that is hard work. And we're in, a, we're in a weird space in a society these days where hard work is now up for deliberation, right, is hard work. A good thing? Is it a bad thing? Is it the sort of thing that um, that we should be encouraging people to invest in? And I saw a clip a couple of days ago, Dana White, the guy that is the CEO of UFC, and he said, all I tell my kids these days is that if you're a half savage, if you're half committed to doing hard work and getting things done, you will run circles around everyone else yeah. in, your, in your ecosystem. Like, is that where we're at now? We're seeing you know, particularly in the workforce, there's this fear of, of doing the work, of putting in, you know, the, the commitment and, and seeing the results. And is that about just understand what you want to get out of it long term? If you're not prepared to put in the hard work, you're not going to see the amazing results. I think it's probably productivity. And, and we all have a different way of ramping up our own productivity. Part of it is by getting rid of distractions. Part of it is by the way we choose to use our time. And in early days in business, <coughs> I was up at five. Mm. Um, I wouldn't get home some days until two in the morning if I'm doing a big install and that was hard work and mm. I was exhausted, but that's what I needed to do to get, to get through. And Wayne was the same. I think these days we've got so many distractions, um, and people say they're busy and I hate the word yeah. busy, you know, it is under the pump. We've all got the same <laughs> the amount pump. of time. It's just how we choose to use that time mm. and for what benefit if we're sitting on, on socials and that's fine. Or we're watching whatever we want to watch. That's cool. 
but don't tell me you're too busy to do something. You're just mm. not choosing to do that that way. What was the uh, Daryl was saying today around? Um, you know, I might say I'm worth fifty dollars an hour as an example. Um, but what what value do I offer in that hour? Yeah. So it's not necessarily about how much you get paid an hour. It's what value you provide the business that you're working for. Mm. So someone that you know you might pay eighty dollars an hour for might provide three hundred dollars an hour of value. Fifty dollar guy might provide twenty dollars of value. So you just need to. I think, you know, when people are sort of talking about, oh, I'm worth more money, well, what value do you really bring to the business? Yep. Um, you know, how much work are you doing for them? How much are you really putting in? And I, I, we're at an interesting time. Like it's businesses are under a lot of pressure at the moment from certainly pay rises left, yep. right and centre. Yep. Um, because everyone know, talks about like the cost of living <clears throat> going up. So then, you know, there's a, there, there is a concern for business because everyone that's working for the business has cost of living going up, but the cost of living still affects the business too, right? Like when interest 100%. rates go up on your loan or the interest rates going up on any finance that the business is using Correct. and those sorts of things. Um, Work cover doubles, insurances yeah. double, uh, yeah. your rent doubles. Yeah. That's, that's absolutely right. So how does a business owner um, manage the expectation of that? Well, you know, in, in still making sure that people feel valued, Mm. Um, but the value transaction isn't strictly monetary. I think culture is that big part of, of that, making sure you're, you're a business that has a strong culture that is communicated to your team and they're aware of what that looks like. But you can't lock the door from the inside. You've mm. got to allow people to go and explore things and hopefully there's enough education within our industry or within industry to know <coughs> that the grass isn't always greener. Um, some people just need to have stickability. Um, sometimes it's it's around telling people they've done a great job and, and having good leaders within your business that are good people person. People. Mm. Um, that's an amazing thing. If you've got a good leader who believes in you and gives you opportunity to try things, um, that's worth more money than than uh, the next door where you just have to be locked to a desk. Yeah. Um, so there's some of those sort of things that we play with, but every single person <coughs> is going to be different, I think. That's where... Um, as a leader, you need to be able to understand your team and what mm. makes them makes them tick, not just the dollar. But it is a tricky time, I think, at the moment. It's um, I think every business is experiencing it. Um, we're not we're not immune to it, that's for sure. No, and I think even like particularly from the younger generation that's entering the workforce now, what they perceive as value for their employment has changed too. Like mm. young kids be thinking, <clears throat> I'd prefer the couple of days work from home than the extra 5K, the travel allowance or those sorts of things. So is it also about businesses being more flexible to what is, you know, what is uh, an employment contract look like? Where are the features and benefits to the employment contract? Is it strictly monetary? Are there other, you know, benefits to, to working for the business? I think, you know, we've always had a philosophy of a outcomes-based mm. type of attitude. <clears throat> so, you know, with all of our leaders and employees, excuse me, <clears throat> um, you know, we start with the outcome. This is what we want to achieve. So, you know, Mike, you've got your team, you know, what you need to achieve and, and the goals that we've set and the strategies we've put in place, how you do that, whether you've got your team working from home half the time or at the office, whatever it might be, I think we're quite flexible in that mm. um, side of things. So if there are certain things that, because that, not everyone's the same. So like, you know, yeah. person A, John might be motivated by extra money. 
Jack might be motivated by a work from day, work from home day or something, yeah. whatever it might be. Yeah, I think no, you've got yeah. to be flexible as a business. That's the important part, right, mm. is that it's contracts, employment contracts in particular aren't negotiated the way they used to be because mm. different people are looking for different benefit um, from, from that employment. It's not all money. Um, where people from our generation, it's <clears> a bit more, well, it's black and white. I just mm. want some more money. Yeah. That's the, if you could look back over the 20 years, long time, um, is there anything that stands out as I'd never do that again? Probably. <laughs> is there any? Is there any that come to mind? Oh, look, I, I, I don't no. necessarily think no. We've made plenty of mistakes along the way. We've tried new. We tried. You know, we opened up an office in Geelong at one stage, and we really, yeah, yeah, yeah right. we had an office down there, <laughs> and we, um, we had a part ownership in Sydney as well. Yep. We tried lots of different things. And they haven't always worked out, but that's just part of the journey. And, yeah. you know, I think not being afraid to try things, as long as it's measured, you know, you're not putting your house on it and you're not putting the whole business on the line mm. to do it. You've always got to have options. You've always got to have option A, B and C and whatever you do. If option A doesn't work out, then you go to option B. So you've got to have yourself covered. So for me, you know, it's you learn along the way and I, I think even the mistakes have been fun when you look back at them and go, well, mm. that was just, you know, we, we lost money on that thing. And yeah, we, as long as no one was a lot hurt. of time. No, yeah. that's right. It was just our time and, and a bit of money. But at the end of the day, we've learned what to, how to do things better as we go. So, And mine would probably be a little <coughs> bit more personal in that side of things, just the way that I learned to deal with stress. So mm. how I do things differently and, and when your house is on the line and you've got four kids at home and um, it's the GFC and, and that kind of stuff, you just pour yourself into work. Yeah. Well, I did. Um, there's sort of behaviours that you grow, uh, that you, <clears throat> behaviours that you do uh, based on the circumstances that you're in, that if I had my time again, I probably wouldn't have stressed as much or I would have had a, a different approach to, to that, um, looked after myself a little bit more, mm. um, which, is, which is hard, you know, when you're the business owner and it all falls with you. Um, yep. In saying that, mm -hmm. it's interesting last night, um, Sally, my wife, talking to her and um, um, she had a good conversation with my son, Jack, and he wants to, to you know, get into sales. He wants to get his own business. He's sort of emulating a few things, but he said, I, I, I want to be more successful than dad. And Sal said, that's great. Good on you. And he goes, I know it's going to take a lot of hard work and, and all that sort of stuff. And I have to really knuckle down at school. I'm going to have to do a lot of stuff. And, and she said, that's brilliant, Jack. You, you know, it's good, good sort of thoughts and whatever. But she said, one thing that Dan and Wayne have always done their whole journey along their 20 years of the business, they've always had fun. Mm. So don't lose sense of that. Don't pour yourself, you know, have the, the blinkers on and go straight in there and not think about all the other things around you because, you know, suddenly uh, 20 years has gone by and you've yeah. got old and grey and you've had no fun and you've lost relationships, whatever it might be. Yep. So I think we've been really good at doing that and, and having, you know, having a bit of a laugh at work. It's not always serious. You know, there's a yeah. lot of fun that happens, has happened along the way. You only got to look at some of the old Movember photos to, <laughs> to know that. But um, it was always the, um, <clears throat> the crashing of the pro AV parties. <laughs> I think was the thing. <laughs> that was the goal. That was always the thing that uh, made it, it around a, the industry after an integrate or something. Uh, what did Dan and Wayne get up to? Yeah, <laughs> it's just well, a bit of fun. Just take a little bit. I think, you know, that's, yeah, just to have a bit of a laugh at yourself and, yeah. and, and, and just have fun together. I think it's, it's all, I think that's also helped in our longevity. Hmm. Um, yeah. 
So. And it's having fun with your staff, but yeah. having fun with your suppliers and with your clients as mm. well. It's it's realizing that you're pouring a whole bunch of time into this work. Um, it can actually be fun. <clears throat> it it's be a fun. building the community, like mm. you were you know, talking mm. about before. It's, it's mm. building that thing around you. Um, the other thing I want to have a quick chat about because I started in this business March 2020, um, which was two weeks before we went into our first lockdown for the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So coming into a business as a business leader. Um, was pretty tricky, you know, we're trying to learn a team and find out what the business is all about. All of a sudden everyone's working at home. You know, what was that like for you guys to, because the business was, was massive then, right? Like it had reached its point of, okay, this is what insight is now. All of a sudden everyone like pulls the rug out from underneath. Mm. No foresight as to what's going to happen. No understanding as to when this thing's going to end. Um, how do you as a business owner internalize that? And, and you know, what was the, the plan of, how we're going to survive this That was thing. the weirdest, I reckon was. the weirdest point in our whole, the GFC was one thing, this tops that yep. a long way. You mm-hmm. know, that was the most bizarre time I think we've had. That positivity um, that we talked about before, I think that came to the fore uh, and we looked at where opportunity was. It was a weird time and, mm-hmm. and where a lot of businesses were pulling back, were culling staff. We were saying, well, where's their opportunity to serve our current clients in spaces that we haven't before? Mm. We put more people on. We spent more than we ever have in marketing. We started to hone that value proposition again to say, well, maybe this is time for us to change things. And it just exploded. Mm. Um, It it was incredible, actually, the way the, the business survived. We also had to have, you know, some understanding staff as well. And it's lots of good conversations and the guys that probably got hit the most, you know, the guys on sites, you yeah. know, installers and service techs and that because they weren't allowed on site. So that was the hardest point for them. And, you know, we had lots of conversations and, and you know, we were learning as we went. Yeah, you know, the well, government there was no kept book changing, for that one. Government changing the rules on JobKeeper and this and that and we were just flying mm. blind at the time and learning Every day we'd be reading something new and having I think we'd had internal like, meetings. Yeah, every we had day. management meetings slated <laughs> after every Dan Andrews press conference. That's right. So it was exactly. like, here's a break. All right, now what are we doing yeah. next week? Yeah. Well, was yeah. It was a 10 o'clock and a 2 o'clock just yeah. to know what's going on That's in the, right. day. Yeah. That's right. But I think the fact that we, we, were all, we, we had this attitude, we're all in this together. It wasn't just us two and yeah. like, what do we do? It was we had this you know, management team together and we were like, how do we, how do we get the right message to staff, how do we, you know, keep everyone motivated and how do we then, as Dan said, what are the other things we could be doing for our clients in this time and, and you know, obviously with our managed service side, you know, there was, you know, I think at one stage some of our guys were delivering furniture and that to yeah, vice chancellor's right. houses yeah, and yeah. setting them up and, you know, so that they could do video conferencing. So there was, uh, again, being an adaptable business and um, making sure we're looking out for each other and, I can check it in. I think mm, that was, yeah, well, that was a lot of that. And that was really good too, in the sense of, because for me, it was, I had no idea what was going on. Mm-hmm. And, um, and when you're new in a business, you've got impressions to make and you've got teams to build. You've got a whole bunch of stuff to do. And, um, and even the support that, you know, that we felt as leaders from you guys was really cool. So that was, you know, I think we got through that quite well. Um, and I feel like internally that really solidified what the business looks like now. Absolutely. Um, you know, the people that are in the business now are the ones that sort of stuck through all of that and they were prepared to grind and, and get it all done. And we sort of emerged out of that with this new breed of mentality of people that just get out there and make it happen now. So, you know, the iron sharpens iron thing is also really important where if you maintain that culture and, and adherence to the values, um, you have no choice but to adhere to those values. Mm. Otherwise, you 
you're not here. That's it. I think one of the things that I learned out of that uh, specifically is around communication and how we communicate messages to uh, to our staff, either messages that are coming from the government to us and then have to be passed on or, or dis- decisions that we've made, how we do that. I think I read a stat somewhere that said, if you think you've communicated enough, you need to do it 10 more times. So mm. um, if if sending out one email a day or one comms a day is deemed enough, send out 10 or, or find different ways to communicate to people because you cannot do that enough when people are in the dark. You cannot communicate enough to your folk about what you're doing as a business and what you're doing as a leader um, enough. You just need to continually remind them that you're there, that mm. you're there supporting them, and this is where we're going. Um, and that is a challenge for us. We, you know, we've grappled with that and have we done enough and sometimes we don't communicate enough and we do, we've got to keep reminding ourselves yeah. to, to do that. And, um, yeah, it's, it's part of the journey. Not natural. No. No. So that brings us to like this point in time. And, um, and then it's about, what are we about now? What are we about next? Um, you know, what is, what does insight look like in the next two, three, four years? What are the dreams that you guys have got left for the business that you've spent 20 years building up until now? I'll, you know, with again, not giving out too many trade secrets. I think think we've got lots of cool things happening and a lot of it in your realm, Mm. um, around the software side and things like that. And I think that's the the future of our business is, uh, yeah, obviously integration will keep burning along as it does and it'll keep growing as it does, but um, the type of integration, the type of work that we're doing and some of the the benefits that we can provide to our clients um, from a um, technology standpoint and a, um, yeah, there's lots of things we're doing without saying too much. Yeah, you but, can't, um, it's tricky because you can't really tell yeah. anyone how much awesome stuff we're about to do. <laughs> and I think, you know, the type of... Um, People we are getting into our business are different now. The type yeah. of skill sets and that is is very different, you know. From you know, we're you know the the carrying around the big uh, case of um, big projector doing demos. <laughs> so those days. <laughs> to um, you know some of the you know no hardware type of solutions that we're doing mm. uh, are pretty amazing. Um, and I think you know again just continuing to watch the growth of people within our business and give them this career pro- progression and. You know, you being one of the senior managers in the business, watching you grow a team and then looking at what are the things next starting to you. A podcast, and starting a podcast. And just, just so much stuff. I mean, we don't know some of the things that we're going to be doing. I wouldn't have, if you had said we're doing podcasts two years ago, what, what are we doing podcasts Why? on? Why? Yeah. What's, you know, but. Um, For me, I think the future of business, it continues to be around our people mm. and, and extracting the best people out of the industry to, to come and work for us, not because we're going to pay them the most and, and probably we will, but because this is the the incubator for great ideas in the yeah. future. Mm. Um, I think we've always trusted our gut in where we think things are going to be moving and we've always been open to pushing the boundaries of that. Um, we're not besotten to a, a builder or a consultant or a, a spec that we don't think is right. We've made choices to focus on what the end client needs and. Uh, how we can provide value to them. And I think that underpins the growth of our business. So I think we've only just uncovered a little bit of, of what we can do and our potential as a business. Um, and as we continue to hone that value proposition and market that out and, and educate our clients and any potential client on why we can make a difference to their technology fleet, their, their enterprise, 
um, that's where we're going to see the business continue to grow. And it's not just here in Melbourne, it's across Australia, New Zealand and, and the world. I think there's, there's a lot of opportunity for what we're doing here. Mm. And it feels like it's, you know, the, the, the Rubik's cube is, is being solved. You're about to flick the, you know, the last thing and hit that color spectrum. It's definitely, um, you know, cathartic. We're here. It's, it's the end of, of probably the first clean year that we've had out of this COVID stuff. You know, it's the first year we've had a chance to, to get a business back to, to running as a business. And as we go into 2024, most businesses are thinking, well, all right, that's behind us now. And, and we've got a couple of challenges in front of us. Um, but there are still some hurdles to get over, you know, as, as in trying to think about what is the most important thing for business owners to be conscious of in the next year or two, um, what are some of the things that you see as being really critical for a business to be agile, nimble, but, but to be relevant? A couple of things. One is, is knowing who you are, what your direction <laughs> is, uh, knowing that value and knowing what you do for your clients. Um, Another one is the expenses. I think that is just getting out of control. Mm. What your break even is, <clears> and <throat> it's just some of the business operations stuff that you need to do. Um, being aware of what your costs are, almost weekly, monthly at a minimum. Um, knowing what your revenue is, being tied into that sort of metric very regularly and keeping track of that. That's that's vitally important. Um, but also knowing that your staff buy into what your vision is. Your staff know what their value is, and I think. What, you referred to before what um what value they bring to their client every hour that they're working not yeah. just their mm. paycheck but what value are they bringing they're the messages that we need our staff to know and they're, they're the messages we need our customers to know as well mm. I mean, it's vitally important for businesses in the next couple of years to dial down on that customer experience and understand how they can be <clears throat> exceptional 10 out of 10 businesses yeah and I think the other, I agree with all of that. Thank you. And the extra, <laughs> always, Imagine always. Imagine if you did it. I know. Well, <laughs> so be, be corrected. Be over here, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think one thing that we've done well in the last couple of years particularly is really hone in our ideal client. And I think any business should, if they haven't already, sit down and go, yeah, what, what's our value proposition, all that sort of stuff. So all that in mind, who are the clients that would see value in what we do? and start focusing on them. Mm. Um, once you start trying to spread, just if you're spreading yourself, and I know what it's like when you're early in the business growth, you'll try and take Be work wherever you yeah. can. You know, it's important to get money through and all that sort of stuff. But then there's a point where you go, we've, and if you did the stats and you look at it all, you go, we have spent so many hours, so it costs so much money for this small amount of return because mm. those clients really didn't value what we were about. Whereas you know, we could have invested more time in over here where the clients really appreciate the things that we do and they really see value in what we do. So us doing that over the last couple of years has been fantastic and it saves us a lot of time. You know, obviously your, um, the sales guys get a, a better return, a better win yeah. rate, um, that sort of thing. But again, you just have better experiences with your clients. I mean, everyone enjoys business so much better from our side and from the client side when you're aligned and you both value each other. Yeah. Happy days. That's, that's the that's ideal if you can find it. And that's mm -hmm. about making that call that, that, okay, now we've moved out of alignment. Mm. What is that going to mean? Are we going to mm. come back together and, <clears throat> and realign on our business? Or are we going to say, actually, you're better suited to this company over there? Yeah. Um, and that's, again, not locking the door, but just having those open conversations. We've had many of those with, with certain clients just to say, look, 
I don't think we're aligned here. And they actually end up agreeing and say, look, maybe well, we it's just, better for them. It is. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. So they then go to diversify it and then they come back. <laughs> oh, cut, cut that bit. <laughs> sorry, Andrew. Sorry, Andrew. I love you. <laughs> um, that's it. That's 20 that's, years. Yeah, 20 years. Mm. 20 years. And here we are now. Um, thanks for coming on your podcast, yeah. um, which I host, well, but it's, it's your po- podcast. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. Normally at this point of the podcast, I go, oh, and for the guests, if you want to follow the links and yeah. no, 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 we'll like, you know, <laughs> www.insightsystems. <laughs> exactly. We could do that. I could have had a happy birthday um, digital thing in the pad, but I didn't, right. didn't load that. But happy birthday to us. Yeah. Yeah. Right. We're excited, Sorry. Mike. We're, mm. um, we've got a long future. We, um, there, there's a lot of things happening and we're not stuck and we're doing new things. It's a, it's a great place to be. Mm. And I we should probably do this again in 12 months for the 21st birthday because oh. 21st is the thing that's more important. And Maybe for the 21st you can get our wives in and actually get the real story about, yes. how, uh, about how bad it's been yeah. for them over the past 20 years. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we both good. drink a little bit, but like not after two, yeah. Yeah. so it's okay. <laughs> Shout out to Melissa and Sally. Well done. Yeah, yeah and, and probably like that's where doing right because you guys couldn't do this without the families that you've got behind you you've got 100%. 27 children um and a wife and four four two boys four. two girls yep. um caleb zara izzy ari you are good well done melissa's the wife yep. um testure. sally is the wife jack ella there you go Easy. Yeah. Well done. Well done. Yeah. But yeah, you know, and, and you've got to shout out the fam because none of this happens without the fam. Definitely. And, and probably that is one last thing that, that the, the business has been successful because we've almost had that family. Uh, we do treat it like a, like an extension of our family. Mm. We love the people we work with. Um, we, we spend a lot of time with each other. Uh, our families are important to us as well. And, and when we talk about moral compass, it, it has been, Family is important, so we try and treat everyone with the way that our families want to grow up. I want my son to be able to come in here and feel comfortable, um, and it's been something that I've appreciated about Wayne is the way that he's treated me, the way that uh, Sal has accepted the fact that all I take All your shortcomings. Him. Yeah, all my shortcomings, yeah. <laughs> well, I feel like both uh, Sal and I have raised a fine young man. That's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> a team effort. It is. Yeah. shocking. And we've got our big uh, 20th. Um, party this end of this year, Christmas. Yeah, we're doing a Christmas one, and then we're doing the one for our suppliers <coughs> and things too, right? All the all Correct. the vendors that are out there are coming Correct. and having some some festive season action here. So it's too. a good time of the year. It's it fun. Is. It is. Mm. Well, thanks, boys. Thank That's you, been fun. Thank you. Um, and uh, yeah, I'll see you on the shop floor you in will. the next fifteen minutes. Okay. <laughs> can, can you get back to work? Yeah, I guess yeah, you get back to work. work. <laughs> uh, yeah, that quote's got to go out. Yeah. Okay, thanks, boys. See you. Bye. Ta-ta.